Well, I'm speaking on faith on chapter 11 of Hebrews this morning. If you want to turn, I've got the PowerPoint up here. Uh, start with this story about uh, quite an amazing little story about Jackie Robinson coming into the pro baseball as the first black player, debuted with the Brooklyn Dodgers in, uh, on April 15th, 1947. Uh, he, um, it's amazing, a story of faith and courage behind his enter into baseball. Branch Rickey was the Dodgers baseball executive who would eventually sign uh, Jackie Robinson. And Rickey's pastor was Wendell Fifield from the Plymouth Church of the Pilgrims in Brooklyn. And this church, um, Plymouth Church here, at one time pastored by Henry Ward Beecher, was, ha had a history of working with the Underground Railroad to help free slaves, which is interesting how that there's a connection with these two just, just so happens. But uh, while Ricky was deciding if he should sign Jackie Robinson, he barged into the pastor's study uh, um, and told Fifield, don't let me interrupt you. I just want to be here. Is that okay? According to the eyewitness report written by Fifield's wife, June, the two men passed time without words. The pastor continued his work, and Ricky energetically paced the floor, just periodically stopping and staring out the window. And for 45 minutes, he continued pacing and pausing, pacing and pausing. And then finally, Ricky broke the silence and he pounded his fist on the pastor's desk and he shouted, I've got it. He says, got what? Uh, Branch, the minister said, and June Fifield said that uh, Ricky finally relaxed on a chair and he told his pastor, this was so complex and so fraught with so many pitfalls but filled with so much good if it was right that I just had to work it out in this room with you. I had to talk to God about it and be sure about what I was sensing he was wanting me to do. And I hope you don't mind. Wendell said that I've decided to sign Jackie Robinson. Wendell, he said, I've decided to sign Jackie Robinson. And then Ricky straightened his bow tie and he donned his hat and he left the room and he said, bless you, Wendell. In a couple of interviews that took place in 2010, uh, 2011, People who knew Ricky reflected on this story here. Uh, there's a great show called 42. If you want to see this whole thing played out, it's an excellent uh, movie. Ricky's grandson, he said uh, that when a, a well-known journalist told Ricky that all hell would break loose when Jackson took the field. And uh, Ricky quietly countered, I believe that all heaven would rejoice. And uh, also Jackie Robinson's widow Rachel had this story, uh, had this to say about Ricky's need to pray about this decision. He knew that he was going to be pretty much isolated uh, doing this, and he needed all the strength that he could summon up to be able to take this step. And Jackie Robinson knew that there would be a huge price to pay for this. And uh, by faith, he knew where his help come from. And so he was going to, he had, you know, he had this question in his mind, am I going to be willing to pay the price that God wants me to pay? Because doing this is going to cost a lot. And as I have been preparing this message from Hebrews chapter 11 here, you know, I've discovered there's many misconceptions and misunderstandings about what faith is. Many think that faith is just wishful thinking, where I close the eyes and spin the wheel and hope it lands on the big prize. Or just, uh, 
an intellectual agreement to a belief or a positive feeling or just believing despite the evidence. Keeping these scriptures in context, the message here in a nutshell is that faith is trusting God to fulfill his future promises because we have good reason to do so. And for example, if we listen to the mockers of our day and really throughout history for that matter, you know, we hear things like if faith is real, then everyone would, who bought a lottery ticket would be rich and would be a winner. Or if, uh, uh, if I wish, if you wish for something to come true and you wish for it hard enough, it will come true. You know, and I hope that we can clear up some of these misconceptions because, you know, I just, I thought this was a little bit silly here going on. But you'll remember that the author of Hebrews here, at the end of chapter 10, he um, said in verse 38 there, he said, and my righteous ones will live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk here. And he finished off chapter 10, and it really launches us into chapter 11 to what we know as the hall of faith or the heroes of the faith. And it's concerning this faith that the righteous are to live by that the author effectively describes here in chapter 11. And there's two important elements concerning faith. The first is the description of the faith which takes the author all of one verse to describe it. And then the second and the remaining verses of the chapter, we see the examples demonstrated of the heroes of the faith that we look to that this all took place, you know, a lot of this took place with the heroes of the faith, this Old Testament faith. The same faith that, that uh, the Apostle Paul had to live by, the same faith that we have to live by. These are Old Testament heroes of the faith. And uh, so we ask the question, what is faith? And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what is hoped for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. And that's the New Living Translation. And the NIV translation says, Now faith is being sure of what is hoped for, or what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. And uh, with that, Lord, we just pray that you would take this message that we're looking at here today and open the eyes of our understanding and help us to decipher, Lord, what your word is saying. And I pray, Lord, as the word goes forth, I thank you by faith that your word says it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. So we just say amen to that. In Jesus' name, amen. So faith is trusting God to fulfill his future promises because we have a good reason to do that. And according to the apostle Peter, scoffers have always said, ever since our fathers have died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Where is this coming? He promised. But he reminds us that the Lord's delay means salvation for people. He says in his word, it's not his will that any perish, but all come to repentance. So you can be assured that when you're praying for your loved ones, that you're praying according to God's will. And it's not his will that they perish, but his will that they be saved. And I believe that we can claim them to the kingdom and we can stand on that by faith, believing regardless of what we see happening in their lives, we can believe in the end they're going to be saved. Because that's God's will. And, you know, we need to stand in the gap and tear down the strongholds and tear down the blindness, the deafness, and just say, thank you, Jesus, for saving their souls. Once you claim them, from then on, it's thanking him by faith for saving their souls. The author reminds us that the Lord's delay means salvation for people like this. 
And what uh, else Peter says here, he says, what kind of people ought you to be? You also, you, uh, as you look forward to the day of God, he says that we ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God, looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. You know, I, I found this cute little story here that sort of shows a picture of the anticipation or of the commitment we should have or the, you know, how much we should be in tune to the, the day that Jesus is coming back because we don't know the day or the hour he says he's coming back. The same generation that sees Israel become a nation, he says, it's the word says that that generation will see the coming of the Lord. Israel became a nation in 1948, so I don't know if that's any indication that if that's all like that, it's going to happen any time now. But I found this cute little story that talks about how we should be looking forward to that day. And um, it's, it's a story about a little guy, a little five-year-old guy. His name is Ben. And he heard more than one sermon about the importance of surrendering his life to Christ. And he seemed to be all in tune, you know, to the heart of God. He just had a natural bent about him to how live a selfless and a kind lifestyle tendencies. And um, kind of thing that sort of takes most of us a lifetime to learn. He just seemed to be a naturally kind-hearted little guy. And his parents were troubled because when they would uh, talk with Ben about it, he stubbornly resisted his parents' invitation to receive Christ as his Savior. He would offer no explanation and simply tell them, I'm just not ready yet. And uh, he resisted for several months. And uh, one morning, they were all sitting around the table, and they were eating their Cheerios. And, and little Ben announced, he says, I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He'd give my life to Christ. And he got up from the table, and he went upstairs. And his mom and dad, they looked at each other and thought, you know. And then so they followed him up, and they expected him to see him on his knees praying. And instead, they found him packing his little Star Wars pajamas into his little Sesame Street suitcase. And he said, Ben, what are you doing? And he says, I'm packing. And they said, why? And he says, to go to heaven. And then the parents, they, it says that we understood why our child hesitated to give his life to Christ. He thought that in doing so that he would have a, to leave his mom and dad and get, take up residence literally in heaven with Jesus. You know, the innocence of children, eh? You know, all of us, you know, we need to possess that kind of a desire to be with the Lord and uh, are looking forward to heaven. If, you know, it doesn't take much to look around you and think, oh my goodness, you know, heaven is going to be so good. And it should feel pretty secure and give us a lot of peace. You know, we should have our hearts so fixed on Christ's appearance, the attachments of this world would pale in comparison. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the Lord would really like for us to get into our hearts. That the attachment to this world pales in comparison to our meeting with the Lord and seeing his appearance. Hebrews 11:13 says that these heroes of the faith acknowledged that they were aliens and strangers here on earth, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. You know, we, when we first became believers and we started hearing and reading these things about Jesus, it's not very long before we are face-to-face -face with this subject of faith. And I remember when I was young, and I was thinking, faith, okay, faith, that's just trusting and waiting and believing for God. Well, that was a little more complex than just that simple, simple task. And it doesn't help when you're not believing for the right things, which I wasn't, so it didn't work, and it was kind of frustrating, took me back. 
But the thinking person, you know, they want to ask, okay, well, what is faith? And some people might take it for granted, you know, and the, but the thinker, they want to know what it is. And the problem is that the answers that they're given are not always good answers. Oftentimes the answers that they're given, they're not what faith is. They're really what faith is not. And so before we get going on what faith is, I want to talk a little bit about what faith is not. You know, faith is not just a positive feeling. You know, like feelings are so deceptive. And if you've lived along at all, you realize, boy, oh boy, if I don't get sleep one night, I could be feeling good one day and I don't get sleep that night. Nothing's changed at all, but it sure does look different the next day. This day I'm happy, this day I'm grouchy. It's just amazing how the mood. That's an interesting thing to watch. I remember in Bentley, like when I was coming home from something, I remember coming up to this stop sign and it just clicking with me because the day before I come up to that stop sign and things were great. It just seemed like life couldn't be better. And that day, the next day, I come up to this sidewalk, or sidewalk, this stop sign, see, come up to this stop sign and I was so depressed and I was so stressed out of my mind and I thought to myself, wow, nothing has changed and yet my mood is so different. And that was the first real insight of, okay, I can't go by how I feel. You know, in making decisions, never make a decision when you're real flustered. It's good to just step back and just take time and uh, wait. One great lesson my dad taught me when I was young, he says, never make a big purchasing decision without going away and having a coffee. And I'll tell you, that was the best advice. You're going to buy a car, you go look at it, go and have a coffee and talk about it. It's amazing how many times you won't go back there. You know, these salesmen... If you're a salesman, God bless you. I pray you'll get lots of sales. <laughs> but they don't want to let you go for that coffee because they know if you get out the way from them, you might change your mind. <laughs> but it's so true. Our, our emotions are so something we cannot rely on. You know, it's also not just blind optimism. That's not faith. You know, there's, uh, there are optimists where the glass is half full. Then there's the pessimist where the glass is half empty. And then there's all of us that are in between there. You know, there's a lot of different optimistic things going on there. So it's more than just positive optimism. And faith is also not a manufactured hope-so attitude. And it's called wishful thinking. And it's not an intellectual nod uh, of agreement to disbelief or to belief. And uh, faith is not uh, simply evidence in spite of the uh, belief, believing in spite of the evidence. Um, I'm going to tell it. I, gotta, I took it out of here because I thought, oh, I've got to take something out of here. But I'll tell it real quick, quicker than I did the first service. But I got this letter in the mail from a Jehovah's Witness, and there was a Jehovah's Witness pamphlet, and that's how I knew. And then so, and it was a handwritten letter, and then so I had this letter on my desk for a few weeks and I thought, man, I just felt like I did, couldn't throw that letter away. I felt like I have to respond to this person because they've reached out to me. And then so I thought, okay. And I, so it sat there for a few weeks and then uh, last week I, I called this lady. Her name is Gloria. And I told her, I said, Gloria, I said, it's very nice of you that you would take the effort to write me a letter and to you know, want to talk to me about something that's really important to you. And, uh, and I said, okay, Gloria, I said, one thing I need to ask you, I said, who is Jesus to you? And uh, 
she says, oh, if it wasn't for Jesus, she said, we'd all be in trouble. She says, we just celebrated Easter. And then I sort of took me back a bit, and I thought, okay. And then uh, I said to her, I said, okay. I said, do the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is God? Because Jesus in, uh, is the dividing factor of, with every religion. And that's what divides Christianity from everything. I said, is Jesus God to Jehovah's Witnesses? And she says, no. I said, so how can you say that, Gloria? I said, uh, if you read the Bible in John 1.1, 1, 1, I says that it says for God, or no, it doesn't, that's John 3.16. It says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. I bet you I have it up here. There we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then she says, uh, but the... She says, she says, just a minute. And then she went and I could hear her flipping the pages in her Bible. And I says, what's your Bible say? And then she's got this New World Translation. And it's the Jehovah's Witness Bible. And it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was a God. And I thought, oh. I says, well, there you go, Gloria. I says, really? I says, your scripture, your Bible is not right. I says, because all these other translations say that Jesus was God, and the, the word was God. And she said, I said, here, I've got a, a literal translation, an ESV, English Standard Version translation. She gets, she sounded a little excited, thinking that maybe this might say I got in it. So I read it to her, and it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then she says, well, the King James Bible is the only Bible. It's the true translation. I said, well, I got a King James Bible. Here, I'll read it to you. And she said, Okay. So I read it to her, and it was exactly the same as the ESV, word was God. And she says, oh, the Jehovah's Witness, King James Bible is the only translation. <laughs> and I said, Gloria, I said, that's the thing. I said, the Jehovah's Witnesses have taken your Bible, and I said, you guys have changed some things in it to say what you want it to say, what the Jehovah's Witnesses want it to say, not what it does say. They've taken it from the original texts and changed that. And I said, that's not a good thing. And then uh, she says, well, the King James Jehovah's Witness Bible is the only translation. And I says, okay, Gloria, I didn't phone to argue with you. I just wanted to phone and, and just acknowledge your letter and, you know, say it was really, it's great to see you making an effort, you know, going out of your comfort zone and just talking to people. And I said, I'm a pastor at Living Stones Church. And I said, you know, it's great and I appreciate this. And she was just so kind and she just thought it was so nice that I'd call her <laughs> and, and tell her, you know, it was great, but... You know, it's sad, despite the evidence, you know, uh, she wouldn't believe outside of that translation, instead of stopping and looking at that, say, okay, look into it. Maybe she will. And who knows? God, I pray that she does, Father. Lord, that she does search for the truth. Uh, but, you know, despite the evidence, she, you know, she had faith in her Bible, but faith in Jesus, and no matter what it is, it's, you know, it's not faith despite the evidence. Um, you know, we ask somebody, like there's the one, uh, it's not an intellectual nod to, in, to agreement to a belief. It's more than that. You know, we ask somebody that knows somebody, are they a believer? And, and they say, yeah, you know, they believe in God. And well, we know that Satan believes in, in God. And the demons believe in God, but they, they tremble because they know their fate. And, uh, you know, the test is, has it changed their life? Um, People can believe in God, but that's the test. Has it changed their life? Has your life changed since you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, we can say the prayer and, and you know, we can be told that we've got, we've been, we're saved now. But we're to work out our salvation. Has your life changed? Has it made an impact on your life? 
Um, what difference has it made? So we see that in uh, getting a description of what faith is not, as I've been thinking about faith and preparing this message here, it's been challenging to try to define faith in my words. And I read about, uh, read about this atheist, you know, that said this, if uh, faith worked, everybody would be healthy and wealthy. And I thought, that's a stupid saying, you know. And, and um, I read about it, and then I thought about putting it here, and I thought, that's a dumb statement. I'm not going to put that in here. But yeah, it's amazing. A couple of days later, I was talking to somebody, and that's exactly what they said to me. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have to put that in here because people actually say that kind of stuff. But that's not faith. You see, faith, you can't understand faith because faith is something that is deep inside the believer's heart. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes into us. And when the Holy Spirit of truth comes into us, what comes with that is an assurance of who we are and an assurance that I am a born-again believer. I am a follower of God. And with that comes faith to be able to believe that. You know, it's something that only the believer can have because they know Christ as their Savior, because he lives within them, the spirit of truth. So I couldn't believe it when I heard that. I thought, wow, wee, that amazed me. It just, out of their mouth, and they said it so quickly, I just about missed it. And then I thought, wow. So the ESV Bible says it like this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You know, in the word, I like the word assurance here. The word assurance here is a deposit from God when we receive the Holy Spirit. A supernatural knowing that we know. Assurance is, has substance to it. It's something that you can count on. You know that you know deep down inside. And it's not a hope so. And thinking like, oh man, I sure hope this is going to happen. And it's not like, I don't know, but I sure hope this is going to work out. It's not that kind of thing. We know that we know. And I know as well as I'm standing beside a campfire that's blazing away that if I step into that fire and I stand there, I'm going to get burned. There's no doubt about it. I know that I know that I know I'd be burnt. That's the knowing. So when it comes to faith, the result will be what God says it will be. And And the person who has been born of the Spirit knows this in their heart. They know this in their spirit, in their deep in their being. And, you know, a secret to this is knowing that it's, you know, like the faith is the result. uh, The result will be what God says it will be. That's a key. God says it will be. That's when you can stand on it and know that you know because God has said it. And this is why we walk according to God's will and not our will. When we walk, when we know that we're following God's will, faith is alive in us and faith is activated within us. And the only thing that makes this tricky is whether we're following God's will or we're following our will. And so the question has to be, how do we discern God's will this well? And we've looked at these verses many times, a few times with me speaking, I've seen Paul throwing them up there and I think even Adam's throwing them up there. So they're really a key verses to what we believe and stuff, but... This is the secret to knowing God's will. In Romans chapter 1, verses 1, or 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead that you will give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. 
I need to repeat that. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. We're to give our bodies to God. We're to give them to him as a living sacrifice. And we're to let God change the way we think. And then we will know God's will for our lives. And so when we know God's will for our lives, faith is activated within us to accomplish what it is that he's asking us to do. So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What are you believing God for by faith today? Are you believing for your kids? Are you believing for your spouse? Finances, or wisdom in your finances, wisdom in your relationships. Are you believing God for deliverance from an addiction or a bad habit? What are we believing him for? You know, do you have this assurance of knowing that you know that he's set you free? If you've asked for it by faith, you say, thank you for setting me free, Lord. And knowing that you know it is God's will for you to hope for what you're hoping for. Do you know that? It's important. Because I think that when we have that assurance, we can stand regardless of what we see happening around us in the midst of it all. And the word assurance was the same word used in illegal documents described in property ownership. If someone owned a piece of property, they had what's called a title deed. And it shows the evidence of their ownership. I can tell you that I, have pro that I own the property, I own my house, and I can tell you that, but unless I can produce a property deed, a title deed, you know, who's to say that I own that property? It could be taken away from me if you don't have that title deed. And in a sense, the, the Hebrew writer here, he's telling us that faith is the title deed for what we're hoping for. It is, in fact, what makes our hope tangibly real. The title deed would make my property ownership tangibly real. And I can say all day long I own the property, but unless I can show that title deed, there's no proof of it. And I can say all day long that I have faith, but until I apply action to my faith, is it really faith? In context, the blessings that the author is speaking about here in chapter 11, they're not seen with the natural eye. They're invisible, but faith makes the invisible visible. And the writer says that faith is the proof or the assurance, the title deed to the things that we're hoping for. The blessings that we claim as Christians are spiritual. And now faith here is the assurance of things hoped for. The word hope here is a different meaning than our typical word that we use today. It's, it isn't just the same thing as I hope this smoke doesn't hang around all summer long. This is before I seen uh, Phoenix told me about her miracle over there in the kids praying at the senior highs. Because I was hoping the same thing. And it's, uh, it's not uh, just, I hope it doesn't rain when we have our hockey tournament. I didn't show you guys this. I got to show you. This is the big trophy that we're going to win in our golf, men's golf tournament. It's pretty fancy. They had this hanging around for a lot of years around the church. So that's the men's trophy. Is that worth fighting for or what? <laughs> I'm going to put the, I'm going to subscribe the winning team's name on there. And it's an annual trophy. So 
be the first to get your name on there. <laughs> little advertisement for our golf tourney coming up on June 23rd. So the hope that makes our hope difference is the assurance that comes from knowing God. The assurance, otherwise it is simply a wish and uh, just sort of a happenstance. But this is why our faith is different from the world's hope-so kind of a faith. It is because our hope is based on a person, not a wish. And our hope is based not on a per- just a person, but a faithful person and a person who cannot disappoint. You know, what is, that does not mean that we're never going to be disappointed again in life. But I think that if we stop and we think about, okay, when we are disappointed because something hasn't happened, because we feel like, okay, my, you know, I've been trying and I've been believing and I've been hoping and this didn't happen, we have to stop and think, okay, is this maybe something that God didn't tell us? Because I think we need to really think about it then when, we, when we're disappointed like that, it's not because God misses the mark. Usually it's because we're missing the mark. The assurance is something that only a believer has. It's something that comes from the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. The faith that we're talking about here this morning is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has come to set the captives free. It's amazing what we've got within us. You know, we are on a mission here as God's people. And he's calling us, his people, out of their slumber this morning because we have a job of reaching this community that must get done. You're going to be hearing more because, you know, I really believe it seems like God is moving the leadership and uh, even other churches to evangelism. God has got something going on here. Like I shared last time that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up the standard. And the fact that like with these kids praying over here and then, you know, praying that the smoke would be gone and the smoke gets, the rain comes, the smoke's gone and, and it's, it's clear blue sky today like that's amazing and you know I thought about that and I thought as I thought about it I thought you know God is going to reveal himself to this generation to these kids because they're taking up the torch and he's going to show himself real to them and uh, so when I woke up Tuesday morning and saw that smoke was cleared I just thought that is so awesome God that is so neat that you did that and I really believe that's why because he's going to convince them that he's real. And that's why I think that you have a prayer request, talk to a junior high. If God's going to move in them like that, he's going to answer their prayers, it would be pretty neat. The presence of conviction within us is the evidence, all the evidence that we need as children of God. When we have this conviction, we simply know that God is going to do what he says that he's going to do. And the Apostle Paul says that we live by faith, not by sight. A lot of what we see in this world is not very comforting. You know, I don't know about you, but a lot of what I see, if it were not for the hope that I have in the Holy Spirit, I tell you, I would not be a very happy camper. And if I did not have the hope that says that things are going to be okay no matter what I go through in life, that would be pretty disconcerting. And I can guarantee you, You know, we have this hope, and it's a real hope. And the world, our community, they don't have this kind of hope. There's people in our community that are searching for the truth, that don't know they're searching for the truth, but they're searching for the truth, and it's when we come along 
and we just be ourselves and letting our light shine among men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You know, that's, it's so important that we live the life that the believer thinks we should live because, you know, they seem to know it better than we do what we should and shouldn't be doing. But, you know, like we, the little things that we think don't matter, we need to take heart and say, okay, it all matters. We just need to be people that the community looks at and they, when they look at the church, they see Christians that are living and loving each other and being the people that they expect us to be as far as living righteous lives. You know, so we see Jesus, we see a hope here exemplified even in his life in Hebrews 12, 2, where it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. By faith, he endured the cross because he could see past that cross by faith. And the hope that is deep within our souls is far more than anything this world could offer us. Our hope can be such an exciting thing. You know, Scripture says all good things come from the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote about this as he wrote his letter to the Titus, his buddy Titus. He says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope. And what are we looking forward to for, with hope? You know, for that new job? No, we're looking forward to that new hope, to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He's going to be revealed to the whole world, and we're going to share in that glory when he does. So this is where our hope lies. We ha have you ever had your hopes dashed? You know, I'm sure you have. We all have. You know, and I think that... Uh, especially when we are believing and hoping something from God and he doesn't come through as far as we're concerned and then we're very disappointed. Some people, you know, when you have the wrong perspective of hope and you're trusting in something that God has not said, it doesn't come to pass. Some people have thrown up their hands and walked away from the faith saying, ah, this stuff doesn't work. Well, they need to stop and say, okay, why doesn't it work? What's not working? Because God is not one that's going to be making the mistakes, but we sure can. You know, so we need to come to the Lord with teachable spirits. This happens all the time. The great verse in the scripture that expresses this is found in 1 Peter 2, uh, 11. He says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. You and I are exiles here on earth, and this is not our home. That is not to say that God doesn't care about our lives here and now. It doesn't say that we can't come to God and, and be praying about the needs that we have, the financial needs that we have, the financial wisdom that we need. You know, God wants to meet our needs. He wants us to be a witness and a testimony of being honest and we can succeed. Imagine that. I'm a successful, honest person. You know, we can, we can do and be blessed with so much that this world has to offer. But the thing that God doesn't want us to do is to fix our hope in this life. You know, we don't want to be grabbing and striving and allowing the cares and concerns of this world to distract us from the things that he wants us to be focused on. But he does want to bless his people. He wants to take care of us. If he could, he would give us everything. But he knows that it would just ruin us. You know, to think of the prosperity that we have. 
Pastor Paul Reich said to me one time, he says, when the cupboards are full, the pews are empty. When the cupboards are empty, the pews are full. You know, it's just our human nature. We get so distracted. When prosperity happens, there's money to be made, and uh, we can take, oh, we'll just take a little time, and we'll break away, and we'll make that money, and then we'll come back. The coming back part just never seems to happen quite as much. You know, when things don't work out the way that we think, we need to recognize that we're probably the ones that are missing the mark. I am missing something, and God wants to teach me at times like these. When we're missing it and we're disappointed, go to God and talk to him about it because he'll help you and teach you through the whole thing. And he's, you know, he'll teach you who he is, and he'll teach you his will for your life. God desires to teach us his ways, but we need to be teachable. Faith plays a big part in this. And it's so awesome is that this faith that plays a big part in this is not just a, a, a wish or a hope in a, a false sense. This, this faith that plays a big part in us getting to know God has substance to it. And we know there are promises for us today, now here in this lifetime. But far better than the amazing promises that we can have here are the amazing promises that we have to look forward to in the next life and in the life to come. And in the meantime, from here to there, whatever God's uh, lot is for you in life, just take it and enjoy it and live it to the fullest extent. Colossians 3, 2, 3 verses we're all familiar with. Think about these things. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, the whole world will share, to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. That's amazing. Set your sights on things above, not on the things of this world. So in closing, I want to encourage you. You know, we can learn this language of faith. We can learn it because David spoke this language of faith. And you want to learn the language of faith, spend some time in the Psalms. Because the thing that uh, that's, uh, I think helps develop our faith reading through the book of Psalms is that David was extremely honest with God. And that's something, you know, we need to learn how to do. Be honest with God. He wrote many of the Psalms and... and uh, it's a, this language of faith is something that we all have to learn. It's a lifestyle that we must all embrace because scripture says that it is impossible to please God without faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That's how we are all to live. And this is when the rubber hits the road for the Christians. I want to encourage you that, you know, in the next couple of weeks, read through chapter 11. I would encourage you to read it through once a day for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be speaking in a couple of weeks. Pastor Paul and Patty are enjoying this great vacation that they're on, and uh, we've got uh, Jim Reimer coming here next week to share with us. He's from the Fellowship of the Christian Assemblies. Pastor Paul's been wanting to get him in here to share, and um, he's one of the elders of the FCA, and he's doing uh, a funeral in Innisfail. He's from BC, and so he's going to be speaking next week. And then I'm going to come back to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to see and go through some of the lives of these, these uh, heroes of the faith, the examples for us to follow, and how we can follow them. 
how we can apply <clears throat> what this chapter is saying. And, you know, it can make such an impact in our lives. And uh, so with that being said, I just have a stand. You know, the righteous shall live by faith. And we live by faith, not by sight. We're not to lean on our own understanding, but we're to trust, the, trust in the Lord and do good. And he says, and he will make the right, our righteousness shine like the noonday sun. It's amazing, you know. All we've got to do is focus on the Lord and, you know, just spend some time with him and take his word and meditate on this. Just write out a verse or two verses or whatever and, and just think about it through the day as you're working. It's amazing how it all comes in, you know. And as we do that day after day, it says that we build in that line upon line and precept upon precept. You become a people of God that are really walking and moving in the power of the Spirit. Like, you guys could, you know, like this church literally could be world changers if we could just click into this life of faith. And a healthy life of faith. Not just a wish, a whim, but a, a healthy, Spirit-led life of faith. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us, Lord God, to grasp a hold of what you're saying here today. Father, that uh, faith is being sure of what we're hoping for. And it's being certain, Lord God, of what we cannot see. Father, the whole spiritual realm, Lord, we just take authority over that spiritual realm over our city. We just tear it down in Jesus' name, Lord God. We release your spirit to come into this city, Father God, to flood this city, convicting people and moving and stirring. And Father, I just pray, I just impart, Lord God, an anointing on your people to just have the spirit of evangelism upon them, Lord God, that they would go out and they would share their story, that they would tell people, Lord God, of what you've done in their lives. I pray that people would even ask them because they see such a difference in their lives because they're spending time with you, Lord. I just bless them, Lord God, and I send them in the name of Jesus, and I just take authority over the powers of darkness. And we just thank you, Father, that we don't have to worry about the enemy because your word says that you have a hedge of protection around each one of us and around each home. And so we just stand on that by faith, Father God, and we do your will. And uh, we thank you, Father, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.